0: Uh, hang in there with me. Amy, I need you to come up here. Yes, Amy Thompson. Bring your little guy with you. You guys stay here too. Evan and Andrew and Brian and Amy. While they're making their way up here, I don't know if you guys know, but there's uh, Rob and Beth Salek. Rob's one of our trustees, as is Brian. And um, Rob's moving his uh, corporate headquarters from Brea to Texas. And so m- many of you probably know that already. And it's kind of hard because you got a lot of moving parts, you got homes and businesses and they're not really closing business down until the end of August, but some of the the wives are going out to get the kids set up, get the house set up, uh, get the kids in school. And uh, rumor has it that this is your last weekend. doing the best I can, etc., right? We don't have to worry about Brian. He'll be for a few more weeks. <laughs> don't worry about him. This is all about it. This is all about Amy and the boys. I know I'm going to see them again. Matter of fact, I'll actually be in Texas in three weeks. So we're going to be swinging by to say hi. My wife's going to go with me. That's a whole other thing. I think she's booking the flights as we speak. But So I know it's not goodbye. Or forever. Um, I've asked Rob, Pastor Rob, to come up and pray because I'm just not going to be able to. I'm just not going to be able to get through it. I don't know if you're going to be here tomorrow. I'm going to mention it at all three services, not only tonight but um, tomorrow's tomorrow's services as well. You're leaving on Saturday, I think. I'm sure they'll be back, but this is uh, bittersweet. So I just want Pastor Rob to pray for you and the boys, and of course for Brian as well. Um, Yeah start praying. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm an emotional apart. leper,
1: so I don't cry through prayer.
0: Lord, uh,
1: this is bittersweet. It's uh, hard to see a family leave the church, but we know that uh, your hand is totally in this, and you have guided uh, all of these families to this place in Texas, and I even can already see the uh, the ministry that they will have there and the ways that they will bless that community as it grows and develops. And so um, it's a loss for us, but it's um, a gain for Rockwall and Heath. It's um, a gain for your kingdom. And so, Lord, we pray just um, specifically for the Thompson family as they transition that you would give them... Uh, peace in the midst of a lot of just, I'm sure, strong emotion uh, and different waves of emotions that will come over them. I pray for uh, clarity as they're making lots of decisions and uh, prepping to pack everything up and start the the actual physical move. And I pray for um, just a sense of home that comes over them quickly uh, in this new place, a sense that they are um, just able to settle and enjoy that that time um, and I pray for a vision for what's next for them and, and just a, a joy in that and I pray that they'd find closure here um, that they would be able to uh, obviously not say goodbye completely but it be able to turn the page and look at, you know, to a new chapter and enjoy that and so I pray that your hand is over them this entire time and um but they're really able just to experience your joy and your peace and um, even mourn. This is a time to, to, to mourn and to feel a sense of loss um, for us just as much as them. So watch over them, guide them, and um, just bless them. Thank you, Lord, for just how much they have served this community over the years and um, the mark that they've left here. Um, we will forever uh, experience the, the things that they've implemented and the, the ways that they've served this church. So we're grateful for them and uh, really play, pray your blessing over them now in your name. Amen.
0: You know, we've, been, we've known for months and it's just the dates keep moving around and so we're just kind of, you know, playing it by ear one day at a time. Um, thank you for allowing us to do that. What an amazing family, amazing family. Last week, we were blessed when Pastor Dave brought us the word from the second part of Ephesians 1. Pastor Dave, thank you. You're so faithful. You may have heard that we we lost a family member. Uh, Dave's mom, Jeannie Seacrest, passed away this week. Um, so I just wanted you to know that. Dave's here. Thank you for being here. Uh, keep the family in prayer. Dave, Joni, we're sorry for your loss. Brian and Annie. When you're around Jeannie Seacrest and you know Pastor Dave, it's not difficult to figure out why he's the man he is. When you know his mother, it's just not difficult to figure that out. What an amazing woman! What an amazing woman! Be prayed for them. So I want to I want to hit on something. Um, so the Thompsons. Uh, and, the, and their kids, the Morris, uh, James and Amy Morris, and their four kids, and the Seliks and their two kids, and then some other singles and other families are all going to uh, Heath, uh, Texas. And and so that's a number of people from our church that are that are going to Heath, and and people that have worked for them for years that are going with them, that have church homes in the area as well. And so in the months that I've known, I I just really felt like God was saying. Just rest, just pray, just rest, just pray. Don't, don't think too much. And, um, and so about five or six weeks ago, I started pressing into the elders and the pastors about, um, wow, there's all these believers, 30, 40, 25, 30, 40 believers going to Heath and they're not going to have a church home. Let's talk about that. And so we talked about maybe God wants us to start a church in Heath, Texas. And so we, I sent out an email to those three men, to Rob and Brian and James last week, um, just saying, hey, can I have an opportunity to vision cast with and dream a little bit with your employees? And they said, absolutely. And so they crafted something and sent it to their employees. And so we're meeting this Wednesday at 6.30 to talk about that, to see if God would have us do something in Heath, Texas with these people, to be missional, to continue to think outside these walls. And so we want to open that to you guys as well. If you want to be here, Be here Wednesday at 6.30. The employees from Pacific Columns, some of their family members, some of their family members have actually bought places out there to be with their kids. And so we've invited them and we're letting you know that we'd love to have you as well if you just want to hear more. There's a sign-up sheet at the welcome table. Just jot your name down because we're going to be bringing in food as well. So we're going to feed people. I don't know where we're going to do it. Depends on how many show up. I have no clue. Probably in the cafe. But um, if you want to hear about that, see what God uh, might be doing. Um, I was there last week, Monday through Thursday, in Heath, and um, checking out the area uh, where the where they're moving, where their businesses are going to be, looking at possible church buildings, just seeing and asking, "What if?" I love doing that, and I know you guys do as well. So, if you're available on Wednesday, be here at 6:30. All right. Um. Okay. So, you know, sometimes. You come to church and you're feeling a little down. I'm telling you, when you leave, you're going to feel up. Okay, if you're down, you're going to feel up. Two kinds of up. I promise you, if you have a pulse, you will leave uplifted. But there's a really good chance you're also going to leave uptight. (laughs) Either way, you're going to leave up. Either one or both. Probably both. You're probably going to be very uplifted, but you might even be a little uptight. And I just think it's that way sometimes with our Lord as we serve Him. We're uplifted by the promises and the riches that we find in the Lord, but we're also sometimes uptight by the ways that He challenges us and what it means to be followers of Jesus Christ and what it means to be Christ-like. Amen? One or both, I presume and hope that you will be both uplifted and uptight. And I want you to know that I'm totally okay with that. Let me open with this. There's a certain gentleman who's in the hospital with not one, but two broken legs. And so the nurse on duty at the time happens into the gentleman's room and proceeds to inform the patient that she has both good news and bad news. So, like most of us, I presume, the gentleman politely requests that he be provided first with the bad news. Right? Everybody wants the bad news first, right? So the nurse goes on to articulate to the patient that unfortunately it appears that they're going to have to amputate both of his legs. This is a joke, don't worry. So next, of course, the gentleman is extremely curious to know what the good news might be. To which the nurse replies, the gentleman in the bed next to you would like to buy your sneakers. It's, It's a horrible story. I think it's funny. It's not true. Oh man. Today tonight we enter into an amazing into the amazing truths that we find in Ephesians 2. That's what we're going to do today in our time together. The amazing truths that we find in Ephesians chapter 2. It is in this spectacular 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 passage of scripture where you and I are presented with a much more serious Good news, bad news scenario. Spectacular passage of good news and bad news. Indeed, as we already know, the word gospel means what? Good news. That means there must be what? There must be bad news. Otherwise, what's the good news about? So what is the bad news? Consider this, church. If someone came up to you filled with excitement, barely able to contain themselves and form a sentence because they're so excited for the good news they have for you, and they tell you that you've been cured of cancer, and you don't actually have cancer, would that really be good news? No! That's not good news. Look, I don't have cancer. That's not good news. Good news, Bill, you're cured of cancer. Well, thank you, I don't actually have it. There's no bad news so there's no good news. The Lord desires that each and every one of us at some point in our lives come to that place of realization, come to that place of need where we wake up and realize that we do indeed have a form of cancer which is called what? Sin. And that with this cancer this life of sin, there is indeed imminent death. Eternal separation and eternal damnation apart from our Lord, from the King of kings and Lord of lords, the the Creator of heaven and earth. Ephesians 1, which we finished, describes our spiritual possessions in Christ. It says that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So Ephesians 1 describes our spiritual possessions In Christ. And Ephesians 2 describes our spiritual position in Christ. Possessions, chapter 1, our position in Christ, chapter 2. In fact, that's just the way life is, isn't it? The positions that we take determine the possessions that we obtain. The positions that we take determine the possessions that we obtain. In the world of finance, a position is the amount of a security or a commodity or currency that is owned or borrowed and then sold by an individual, an institution, or a dealer. And a position can be profitable or unprofitable depending on the position that we have taken. It's the same with life. Life is that way. In Matthew... In Mark and Luke, the Synoptic Gospels, Jesus says in all three of those Gospels, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world? What profit is there to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? What Jesus is saying is there's no profit in it at all. To gain the whole world and lose your soul. And yet, that's the position that many people take. Let's read Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10. Turn to the book of Ephesians, chapter 2. We're going to read verses 1 and 10, and then we're going to pray. And then I'll give you an outline. Ephesians 2, verse 1. (laughs) And you plug your name in there. And you, Pastor Dave. And you, Kim. And you, Gail, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, but God, but God, being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our sin, He made us alive together with Christ and He raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places so that in the ages to come, He might show the surpassing riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ. O church, it's by grace that you have been saved through faith. And that, not of yourself. That means the the whole idea of salvation. That's not of yourselves. It's a gift of the Lord. Not as a result of your works, so that none of us may boast. For we are His workmanship. We're His workmanship. We are His workmanship. He created us in Christ for good works, which He, God, has prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Let's pray. God, we love You. We love seeing how You work. We love reading Your Word. We love how You mold us and shape us. We appreciate, Lord, Your grace and mercy and love that You extend towards us. God, we're here because we want to be more like You. And Your Word tells us how to do that. We thank You for Your Holy Word. It's in the mighty and powerful name of Christ we pray. And everybody said, here's our outline. Verses 1, 2, and 3. We're children of wrath. By nature, we are children of wrath. We're in trouble. Verses 1 through 3, bad news. Ah! But there's good news in 4, 5, 6, and 7 that Christ made us alive. We were dead, we were children of wrath, but now Christ did an awesome work and we are now alive. And then the last three verses. So we're because we're now a new creation, what are we supposed to do with that? Are we just like we need to celebrate until Christ returns. I was dead. I'm alive. Let's party. No, we got work to do. We've got work to do. And that's verses 8, 9, and 10. Let's read verses 1, 2, and 3 again. You were dead. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. Yeah, you're walking around earth, but you were spiritually dead, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. That's the devil and His Spirit that is working when we are disobedient. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh. We also indulged the desires of our flesh and the desires of our mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Hmm. I like verse 1 in the NIV. Let's. I think we have that up, right? The NIV says, As for you, you were dead. You ever get... I've gotten trouble more than once. And oftentimes it was with other people. Of course, I had as many times where I was in trouble by myself. But when you get with a group of people and they're going around and they're like, and then they say, as for you, and it's like, oh, I knew my turn was coming. Right? That's what Paul's saying. As for you. As for you, you were dead. As for you, you were dead, verse 1 says, in which you formerly walked according to to the world according to Satan. I couldn't help myself. I wrote it and I realized it rhymed and I thought it was really, really cute. So I thought I'd share it with you. So, who is the you in verse 1 and verse 2? Who is the you in verse 1 and verse 2? You were dead, in which you formerly walked. Now check this out. Another one. It's the same as the we that you find in verse 3. This is like Dr. Seuss, isn't it? Who is the you in verse 1 and verse 2? It's the same as the we you find in verse 3. The you in verse 1 and 2 is the Gentiles. Paul saying, You were dead in your sins. I'm from the nation of Israel. I'm from God's chosen people. (laughs) He says, Among them, we too were exactly the same way. We lived exactly like you did. God's chosen, God's not chosen. Us Jews, you Gentiles. Who is the you is the same as the we that's found in verse 3. You are the Gentiles, we are the Jews. Biblically, these two people groups represent who? All of mankind. It means that we were all dead in our trespasses and our sins. You and we. All of us. Compare verse 2, it says in which you formerly walked. And we see in verse 3, he says, among them we too all formerly walked or lived. Who? Among them we too all. All of us. Just like you, we all have also walked after sin, after disobedience, after transgression. And the bad news is further clarified at the end of verse 3, where he says, and we just like you, and we were by nature, by nature, children of wrath, even as the rest. And that even as the rest means like everyone else, or like the rest of mankind. You're walking in sin. We walked in sin. It's our nature. So when people say, "I'm an, I, why would I go to hell? I'm a good person. It's really tough to say to people, no, you're not. You're really not. You are by nature a child of wrath. You have lived in the lusts of your flesh and the ways of the world. We all have. That's what that says. You walk that way. We too, Paul writes, we all walk that way. All of us are or were children of wrath. That's the bad news. Romans 5.12 says this, Therefore, Paul writes to the church in Rome, he says, just as through one man, Adam, sin entered into the world, and death through that sin, and so death spread to who? All people, because all what? All sinned. I'm a good person. Welcome to hell. I'm a good person too. I'll see you there. But, God, verse 4, But God. But God. It's the only way out. But God. Look at Romans 5, 18-19. Paul continues, So then, as through one transgression, there resulted condemnation to all men. Even so, through one act of righteousness, Christ on the cross, there resulted justification of life to who? All men! For as through the one man's disobedience, Many were made sinners. In the same way, through the obedience of the One, Christ, the many will be made righteous. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, welcome to the righteous life. You have been made righteous. You are not righteous. You've been made righteous. Can I get an amen? Amen! I get excited and I lose my place. It's really one of my favorite things is why I have no idea where I'm at. It's so cool. I found my place. We're good. So here's the deal. We're not, in verse one it says, you were dead in your trespasses and sin. We're not simply dead in our trespasses and sin and then one day we come to the end of our life and that's it. There is a thing called eternity. There is a thing called the afterlife. There is a place called heaven and hell. And so the result is that we become children of wrath for eternity When we don't put our faith and hope and trust in Christ. Let's look at how Paul breaks down these trespasses and sins that he mentions in verse 1. How does he break them down? He says, You were dead in your trespasses and sins. Well, it says first that it was according, these trespasses and sins are according to the course of this world in verse 2. According to the prince of the power of the air also in verse 2. According in verse 3 to the lusts of our flesh we are dead in our trespasses and sins according to the course of this world how much does this world have influence on your life according it says to the prince of the power of the air how much leeway do you give the prince of the power of the air in your life according to the lust of your flesh it says we indulge the lust of our flesh and of our mind how often do you indulge the lust of your flesh and your mind it leads to death Oh, you might be saved, but other things die in your life if you continue to give in to sin. So let me be real clear. Let's be real clear about where the problem really exists. Okay? It says that we're dead in our trespasses and sins according to the world, according to Satan, and according to our own flesh. Let's be clear where the problem exists. The fault of our trespasses cannot be blamed on the world. Well, it's not me, it's the world. It cannot be blamed on Satan. It's not me, it's the prince of the power of the air. It can't be blamed on our flesh. My spirit desires, but the flesh is weak. That's not where the fault lies. The evidence in these verses where the fault lies is actually a matter of our own will. We're either going to obey God or we are going to disobey God. Will you obey or will you disobey? That's where the problem rests can't blame it on the world we can't blame it on Satan we can't blame it on our flesh it's our will look at verse 2 says you formerly walked according to the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience we choose to disobey and the world hammers us and our flesh hammers us and Satan hammers us we choose to disobey And then all those three things come crashing down on us. We either will obey or we won't obey. Scripture tells us that he positions us to obey, that we can obey. Check out verse 2. See, it's disobedience that leads to the wrong spirit working in us, right? The prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. The wrong spirit, when we disobey, then that's the wrong spirit working in us. It's not the Holy Spirit, it's the spirit of the prince of the power of the air. Conversely, when we are in obedience to the Lord, it leads to the Holy Spirit working within us. So do we want the spirit of the prince of the power of the air, or do we want the spirit that comes from God, the Holy Spirit, of course? And so that's what happens when we live a, a willful life of disobedience. Then we're, some gnarly things happen. And the world comes in on us. The, the spirit of Satan comes in on us. Our flesh crashes in on us. Or we can be obedient and God just empowers us with his Holy Spirit. Check this out. John chapter 16. Jesus says this in verses 7 and 8 of John 16. He says, but I tell you the truth. <laughs> Right, This doesn't seem possible. Jesus says, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away, the Helper will not come to you. That's the Holy Spirit. But if I go, I will send Him to you. And when He comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and show them about righteousness and judgment about the choices that they make. We need help. God knows we need help. And He says, I need to leave. It's to your advantage that I leave. And He infuses us and empowers us with the Holy Spirit so that we can live obedient lives for Him. Amen? This word helper in this verse, this word helper. Go ahead and show the next slide. I think I have this. Yes, I wasn't sure. I couldn't remember. In the Greek, it's parakletos. It's one called alongside to help. (laughs) I confess I need help, man. I need lots of help. And I realize that my wife's not the Holy Spirit. Right? But she is a tremendous help for me. We need help. My wife helps me live the married life and helps me to be a good dad. She just makes me better. But the Holy Spirit helps me to be godly and helps me to be Christ-like. It means our comforter, our advocate, our intercessor. We need help so that we can live obedient lives we can walk by the lord's spirit and live or we can walk by the world's spirit and die so clearly we've got three things working against us in verse 2 and 3 verses 2 and 3 the world satan and our flesh right and then paul addresses later in this letter how we can combat this reality of all these forces working against us and he talks about putting on the armor of god starting in ephesians 6 verse 10 i think which we'll get to later obviously Our second part of the outline, Christ's awesome work. Let's read verses 4, 5, 6, and 7. (laughs) But God, oh, I want to jump up and down. I don't have time. But God, being rich in mercy, right? Because it started off you. As for you, Bill and Zion, you were dead. But God, being rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved you and which He loves us, even when we were dead in those transgressions, He made us alive with Christ. And He raised us up with Him. And He seats us with Him so that in the ages to come, He might show the surpassing riches of the grace and kindness that are found in Christ. Wow, wow, wow. As for you, you were dead. Verse 1, but God made us alive, so endeth the lesson. As for you, you were dead, Dean and Amber Kurtz, but God made you alive. You were dead. Dead. Not weak. Not frail. Dead. After the horribly bad news that we just read in verses 1, 2, and 3, Paul gives us exceedingly good news. In verses 4, 5, 6, and 7. One commentary says this Listen, the unbeliever, somebody who hasn't put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the unbeliever is not sick, he's dead. He does not need resuscitation, he needs resurrection. If you were dead and you're now alive, you've been resurrected by the blood of Jesus Christ. Not resuscitated. Resurrected. That's different. Oh, the two words in these verses, but God. Oh, those two words, but God. Perhaps the two most important words in the history of mankind, but God. Six letters, two words, but God. not hard to spell not hard to memorize perhaps the two most important words that we will ever hear but God (laughs) have these two words made their way into your daily life are these two words part of your sanctification process they're a big part of our salvation I was dead, now I'm alive because I put my hope and faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Okay, that's your salvation. That's a moment. And then every day after that is your sanctification process where God's molding you and shaping you and molding you and shaping you. We use but God to get saved. But that's not where it's supposed to stop, church. How often, how often does but God enter into your everyday language, compared to all the other things that we allow said to us or that we say to ourselves, this isn't going well. That's not going well. I don't know why God's doing this and I don't know about this and oh, what the heck. Do we stop and say, "But, but God? In spite of this, but God. In spite of that, but God. My marriage isn't going very well, but God can heal my marriage. My job situation stinks. It's worse than I thought imaginable. But God can give me a new job. He can strengthen me while, he, while, while I wait for that new job to arrive. I'm really struggling with life in general. But God is where I'm going to fix my eyes and my attention and my affections. Or Satan attacks you. Or even people, and they say, You're not capable of leading that ministry. Pastor Dave, you're, you're not really a good pastor. You don't really know how to preach. Pastor Mark, what do you think in replacing a guy like John Warhas? You can't do that. And I say, But God, but God, but God. People can hit us with truth, they can say true things about us. You're this and you're that or you're not this and you're not that and you can say yeah that's true i'm not as gifted as john warholz i don't have what he has i don't have those years of experience or whatever it is in our life but god people can speak true things to us and we can say but god because that's true also even when people hit us with things that are true about our character true about our defects true about our shortcomings Yep, that's true. I'm not this. I'm not that. But God! Oh, that's different, isn't it? Mm. My hope and my prayer for you is that every day, every day, you find a time, a moment, to boldly proclaim, but God! Find moments when the enemy's pressing you down, the world's pressing you down, your flesh is pressing you down, and you stop and say, ah, ha, ha. But God. Amen? Yes. What do these verses tell us? These verses 4-7. through seven, What do they tell us about our God? Check it out. Look at verse 4. But God, being rich, In mercy, it tells us our God is rich in mercy. Right after that it says, because of His great love. That means He's rich in love. He's rich in mercy. He's rich in love. And look what it says in verse 7. That He might show us the riches of His grace. Our God is rich in mercy. Our God is rich in love. Our God is rich in grace. Our God is rich in mercy rich in love rich in grace is that how we engage him do we engage him as that god richly merciful richly loving richly graceful but if i'm rich in something i got lots of grace Wah. i got lots of mercy Wah. i got lots of love Wah. is that good enough What should I do with it? So it's not just that He's rich in mercy, rich in grace, and rich in love. Check out what it says here in verse 4. He not only possesses these riches, He practices these riches. Look at verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us. It could have just said, but God being rich in mercy and rich in love, And then even when we were dead? No, because of His great love with which He actually practiced it. I've probably challenged a church this way once before. If I said, are we a friendly church? Everybody here would say yes. You're friendly. We're all friendly. This is one of the most loving, friendly churches. If a newcomer's here, how do they know that? You have to actually be friendly to them. You have to say, hi, I don't know you. Have we met? So we can be rich in friendliness. God was rich in love with which He loved us. If we're rich in friendliness with which I'm friendly towards you. Mm. A lot of us have riches like God does, but we don't exercise the riches that we have. You're merciful? Great! Be merciful! Be merciful! You extend grace to people? Are you full of grace? Extend grace to somebody. Find somebody to extend grace to. I wonder who God's top 10 list of... God, who's your top 10 list of grace? Who have you extended the most grace to? Well, number one's got to be Pastor Mark. Right below him's got to be Pastor Dave. Right? Whatever those people would be. Who's your top 10 list of people you've exercised grace to? You've exercised mercy to? You've exercised love to? We can't just be full of mercy and full of grace and full of love. We have to exercise it. Amen? He doesn't just possess these riches. He practices these riches. We're to do the same. Check out 1 John 4. I'm going to give you 15, 16, and 17, and then I'm going to hit verse 19 on a different slide. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, that's you and I, I presume, God abides in him, and he abides in God. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. Of course, God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God and God abides in Him. By this, love is perfected within us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as He is, because as He is, so also are we in this world. You're full of love, love somebody. You're full of grace, be gracious to somebody. You're full of mercy, be merciful to somebody. You say you're a servant, serve somebody. I'm a little fired up. When I miss a week in the pulpit, I try to make up for it all the next week. Verse 19 of 1 John chapter 4. Is it up? Oh, good, perfect. We love because He first loved us. He exercised that love and He calls us to do the same and extend mercy and extend grace so so because of these riches he does three things right he's rich in mercy rich in love and rich in grace and so he does three things check out verses five and six he made us alive together with christ he raised us up with christ and he seats us in the heavenly places with christ which we don't have time to get into all that he's so rich he loves us he's merciful he's gracious and so He makes us alive. we were dead, He makes us alive. He resurrects us eternally. And then He seats us in the heavenly places right alongside Jesus Christ. Wow. But the really cool thing about all that is there's a couple key words. He does all of this, right? He's rich in mercy. He's rich in grace. He's rich in love. He makes us alive together with Christ. He raises us up with Christ. He seats us with Christ when? What does Scripture say? When does He do this? Look at verse 4 and 5. But God being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions. That's when He did it. When did He do this? He's totally rich. He tells us that we're alive with Christ, we're raised up with Christ, we're seated with Christ. He does this when we were dead. He does this for us, even when. When we were dead, even at our worst, he is there for us at his best. He's not just rich. He doesn't just do these things. He says, hey, look, I'm rich in grace, love and mercy. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to raise you up with Christ. I'm going to make you a wife with Christ. I'm going to raise you up with Christ. I'm going to see you with Christ. But you really got to get your life together. No, no, no. That's not what it says. It says, even when we were dead, he did that for us. It's just almost impossible to comprehend. Even at our worst. Even at our worst, He comes alongside us. He's rich in grace, rich in love, rich in mercy, and raises us up with Christ. So, do you live your life according to this somewhat incomprehensible truth? Is that how you approach God? Even when you were dead? Even when we were dead, do we go to Christ? Even when you're at your worst, do you run to the cross? That's, that's what we're supposed to do. Even when we were dead, we can run to Him. And He will be rich in love, rich in grace, rich in mercy. You know, raise us up with Christ. Do you live your life that way? Or do you run in shame? Like Adam and Eve, when they sinned, they, they covered and they hid. They covered and they hid. They covered, and they hid. Lastly, we're created for the works, church. We're created to get to work. We're created to get to work. Let's read verses 8, 9, and 10. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And that, the whole concept of salvation, is not of yourselves. It's a gift from God. Not as a result of works. There's nothing you can do. So, no one may boast about that because it's not possible. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. It's one thing to say, verses 1 through 3, you were dead in your trespasses and sin. Verses 4, 5, 6, and 7, but God, being being rich in mercy, love, and grace, uh, he took care of that. All right, everything's good. No, no, it continues. He did it for a reason. Now we are his workmanship we we are his we belong to him we are his workmanship we were created in christ verses one through three you were dead verses four through seven god made us alive therefore indeed if you were dead dead god resurrected you you're a new creation you were dead so you are created now in christ you are a work of his It's not our life. Sprinkle in a little Jesus, sprinkle in a little Holy Spirit. You were dead. It's all Him. It's, man, this thing called faith, this thing called Christianity, this thing called discipleship has nothing to do with us. It has nothing to do with us. If you think that any part of our walk with God has anything to do with you, we're completely missing it. It has everything to do with Him. We were dead. We are now His workmanship. Created in Christ. I'm skipping the part. That's why I'm pausing. So check this out. Verse 10 speaks of a colossal... (laughs) I'm using these words on purpose. Verse 10 speaks of a colossal, enormous, gigantic plan. And the question is, how well are we executing this plan? This is what verse 10 says. You and I are His workmanship. You and I were created in Christ Jesus. You and I, not in this verse, are now empowered by the Holy Spirit, which we hit on earlier, for, back to verse 10, right? Where His workmanship, created in Christ for a purpose now. Not just so God says, all right, we can hang out now. You were created in Him through Christ for good works. Which God prepared a long time ago. That means it's a plan. Right? Where His workmanship... created in Christ to do good works which God prepared beforehand so that you and I would live and walk according to that plan ah that's different that's different than just Jesus saved me now I can get back to work I can go back to my family I can keep doing what I'm doing Jesus saved me I'm good no you didn't read the end of the plan God doesn't just save us because He loves us. He has a purpose for each and every one of us. Each and every one of us. We're going to close with two passages out of Titus. Here's the first one. Titus is tucked in somewhere. I don't know, where is it? Timothy? Somewhere back there in the New Testament. I can always always struggle finding Titus. Thessalonians, Timothy. Yeah, Titus is after 1 and 2 Timothy. I'm like absolutely no help to you guys. That's fine. First and second Thessalonians, right? First and second Timothy and then Titus. 11 through 15. <laughs> Verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, oh yeah, bringing salvation to all of us. It instructs us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present world or age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who did what? He gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his possession. Oh, that God, he sure is possessive. Oh, yeah, he is Welcome to a relationship with our Lord. He gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good works. I don't want you to raise your hand, but if I did, I wonder if you can raise your hand if I said, are you zealous for good works? Don't raise your hand. Oh, you're such a zealot. Yeah, I'm being biblical, baby. You are such a zealot. Oh, yeah, man. I'm. I'm. I, God owns me, man. I'm possessed. I'm. A, I'm living like a possessed man. I'm zealous for God, zealous for good works. These things, he writes to Titus. Paul does. These things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. Let no one disregard you. I hope I've accomplished uplifting you and making you uptight. I know that sounds kind of weird, huh? Maybe I did one more than the other. I'm sure you're feeling more uplifted than uptight. If you're feeling more uptight than uplifted, that's between you and the Holy Spirit. Leave me out of it. I love this, man. You guys are so good. Thanks for letting me do this with you. It's such a joy. We're to be uplifted, but sometimes we need to be uptight. God wants to shift things in us. He wants to, to recalibrate something in us because He loves us. We're His. We're His workmanship. We belong to Him. I'm going to pray and, um, after the service is over. Church, if you, if you need prayer, if you want to pray about something, we have a prayer team available. Get prayed for. Get prayed up, man. Go see our prayer team. Let's pray. God, we love you. We're amazed by your word. We're amazed by how rich you are in grace and mercy and love. God, forgive us that we cover and hide when we fail instead of running to you, that while we were dead, even when we were dead, you extended riches, the riches of your grace, mercy, and love. And you raised us up with Christ. Help us to see you that way, Father, please. Full of grace, full of mercy, and full of love, that you loved us with that love. You weren't just rich, Lord. You practiced what you possessed. Thank you so very much. Thank you for the grace that you extend us as we learn how to do that better ourselves. We love you. We thank you in the mighty name of Christ. And everyone said, thanks you guys.